we're going through kind of topically. And um, so last time I was here, we talked about the prologue, just the first 18 verses of, of John 1. And um, I still haven't heard uh, Billy's from last week, but I heard it was good. Someone give me just a, some highlights from, from Billy's last week. Key points. Anybody got any? If you say any of the points that I'm going to make today, then I'm going to have to switch directions. <laughs> Michael Jordan, the Titanic, the glory of God. Michael Jordan, the Titanic, and the glory of God. Nice. I've heard Billy speak enough to know what you're talking about. <laughs> I can get a good picture. That actually is, pre- is pretty good. Any other, any other key points, key takeaways from, from last week? Uh, yeah, I heard, also heard it was small, so maybe about half of you are even here. Well, today uh, I, I want to talk about a, a theme that's very prevalent in John, uh, is one of his key themes, I think, and that is witness or testimony. It's the same word in Greek. It's a noun and a verb. Um, so John, John makes it very clear that his gospel is not meant to be exhaustive, an exhaustive biography of Jesus' life. Okay? He says that it is meant to present Jesus to us in a way, in a very selective way, that causes us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, he says this at the end of the book, that to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we would have life through his name. Okay? It was written the latest, uh, it, we know this. Uh, it was written um, with a very different structure than the other Gospels. So the signs that John presents in his Gospel are not there primarily to demonstrate the miraculous, even though they do that. They're not just to demonstrate, oh, here's a miracle. Here's something supernatural that happened. But it's a, a miracle that is a sign. He said they are signs. He doesn't refer to them as miracles. He refers to them as Signs and what's a sign? A sign is something that points to something beyond itself. It signifies something. So he presents the these miracles that act for us as signs that point us to deeper realities that speak to who Jesus is. Okay, beyond simply that he can do miracles. Right, because in Scripture there are other people who can do miracles, but there aren't any who can do the miracles that Jesus does. Right. I think of Pharaoh, you know, when God is working the signs through Moses, they kind of get their smoke and mirrors going, get some convincing stuff happening, but they're not the signs of God. And Jesus is the one who does these signs, these miracles in these ways to, to tell us that, yes, he is the one. He is the Son of God, the Messiah. Um, and so they, these signs are meant to manifest God's glory. And you talked about glory last week some. They're meant to manifest God's glory, which is so much deeper than just the miraculous. Right? Our Western minds, our modern minds, get fascinated with the miraculous. Um, but these signs do something much more than just be miraculous. They point, and, and, and we'll eventually talk about uh, the signs in depth. But the reason I bring that up is because we, we're, we're going to talk about witness, testimony. Um, and, and John says that he is testifying to us. He says it at the end of the book. He is testifying. He's bearing witness to us as to who Jesus is. 
And one of the ways he bears witness is he tells these signs. Um, so th- this word um, is, is actually the word that we get martyr from, martyr. Um, we think of martyr as someone who dies defending the faith, right? Dies for Christianity. What it means is just someone who bears witness, someone who testifies, okay? John, in his gospel, the noun is, is witness or testimony. The verb is to, to bear witness or to testify, okay? These are the same word. So he uses the noun 14 times in his gospel, seven in his epistles, and nine in Revelation. Uh, he uses the verb 33 times in the gospel, 10 in the epistles, and four in Revelation. And John's usage of the, those two words uh, are way more than the whole other tes- New Testament combined. All the books of the New Testament combined. So obviously, it's one of his primary themes. And let me just read this. This is, kind of explains, um, I'm going to just explain up front the, the main point here. And then we'll just talk about it. So I, I found this from an article about how John uses this word witness. And here's what it says. It does not refer primarily to the corroboration of Jesus' his, historical existence and works, though it is so used on occasion, nor to the particular events in the story. Okay, so it's not just there. The, the witness is not just to what happened. The witness is mainly to the character and significance of his person. The attestation of the factual history is only the first step toward the witness of his significance in the divine revelation and in the reality of experience. So what that's saying is that as John uses witness, he's not, and just like signs, he's not simply concerned with explaining what happened. All right, I'm here to tell you as an eyewitness that this is actually what happened. He's here to bear witness that what happened means Jesus is the Son of God. That's what witness and testimony is about. Okay? So here's, here's an example. Um, who's heard of the uh, Tunguska event? Anyone? Tunguska event? You might, you might realize what it is once I start telling you. So in 1908, this blast, some sort of explosion happened in, in Siberia. And it covers 770 square miles. Just leveled. But there's no impact crater. Nobody knows what it is. And in 1908, so the, it's, not really, it's not atomic energy. It's not an atomic bomb that went off. But something happened. And nobody denies that it happened. But no one can quite understand what exactly happened and why. Okay? So something happened, and it's actually, they say, uh, scientists say it's the largest impact event in recorded history. Something massive happened in Siberia, so no one saw what, <laughs> what it actually was. There are a few eyewitnesses that describe something that sounds like a meteor, something that sounds like an earthquake, something that sounds like this. But no one is quite sure what actually happened. Nobody denies that something happened. I mean, 770 square miles of forest is just leveled in like a perfect circle diameter. <laughs> like, what? So something happened. That's beyond, that's beyond dispute. But now people are, are, through history, have been trying to grapple with what exactly happened. Um, 
And events like this, especially this one, it, they, they invite sort of wild speculation. So obviously the conspiracy theorists have, have really gotten a hold of this. And if you want to see this particular event, this Tunguska event, um, look up the Wikipedia page for Tunguska event in popular culture. This is a massive uh, compilation of like every, every sci-fi, every fantasy thing. They've, they've all somehow intersected with this thing and like brought it into their story arc in some way. Like it was when aliens landed and this big crater happened and then alien life was brought to Earth. Or uh, it was some sort of time travel thing. I think Doctor Who uh, references the, the Tunguska event. They all want to make it part of their story uh, because there's not so much truth around, about it. Well, so as I was thinking about what the Gospel of John is trying to do, I don't know why, but this popped into my head. I said, you know, this is exactly right. Um, no one denies that something happened about 2018 years ago. And it was so significant that we measure our date by it now. We woke up today on, November, on, on September 9th, 2018 years since this thing happened. And everybody, everybody in the world, everybody in the Western world and, and most of the Eastern world measure their days by the length of time since this event happened. But no one actually, I mean, very few people actually realize, okay, what exactly is the event? If you go on campus and you ask someone, okay, 2018 years ago, what exactly happened and why is it important? You're going to get so many different answers. Right? And, and pop culture has done this to the life of Jesus. You know, I think of all the Dan Brown books and, and the, the Illuminati and all this stuff. And here's what actually happened. You know. But events like this of such significance, uh, they invite such wild speculation. So John is here to tell us, all right, yes, this thing happened. The crater is 770 square miles. Now here's what it all means. And here's the right way to think about why this is important, okay? Um, witnesses are crucial to courtrooms, right? What somebody experiences personally is very important to a case. That's why we have a witness protection program. Because the prosecution knows that the witness's testimony is important. And the defense knows that we would just as soon as take out that witness so they can't say what they saw. Right, so we have witness protection. So witnesses, testimony. This is what John is talking about. I even think of, you know, in, in kind of charismatic church culture, can I get a witness? It means, have you also experienced what I'm talking about? Have you felt it too? Can I get a witness? Right? Somebody testify. So John gives us, depending on how you want to count it, seven or eight witnesses. Okay? Seven or eight witnesses to not just to that this happened, but what it means. Not just that Jesus came into the earth, but how his coming into the earth showed us who God was. Brought us truth. So the first one, um, and these are kind of in order of appearance in the gospel. The first one is John the Baptist. John 1, 6, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to 
bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. Verse 34 says, John himself, he says, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. Jesus himself bears witness, which isn't necessarily bad. I mean, it would be bad if he was the only one, and he makes this point. Hey, if I just came to bear witness myself, don't believe me. But if my witness aligns with all these other ones, then what I'm saying is true. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 11, he's talking to Nicodemus. He says, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not witness, you do not receive our testimony. Uh, 531. You don't have to go to all these. I'm just going to read them just to give us a flavor. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he he bears about me is true. And he's talking about John the Baptist. Um, God the Father bears witness. Okay? In the beginning, in in, uh, chapter 1, verse 33, he says, John the Baptist, this is John the Baptist talking, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, now who was it that sent? It must have been God himself speaking to John. He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Chapter 5, verse 37. This is God the Father. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. Okay? Jesus' works bear witness about him. Chapter 5, verse 36. The testimony that I have is greater than, of, than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Now what's he saying? Look at the works and think about who would do these works in this way? Only one who had come from the Father. If you look at what I'm doing, you'll see what the testimony is that I am from the Father, and I've come from the Father. The Old Testament, he says, bears witness. Chapter 5, verse 39. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Uh, Chapter 15, verse 26. The Holy Spirit bears witness. Chapter 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And the next one is the apostles, and it's in the very next verse. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. All right, so, God the Father, or John the Baptist, God the Father, Jesus himself, where are we? Yeah, John the Baptist, Jesus himself, God the Father, his works, the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, the apostles, now especially John, 
uh, chapter 21, verse 24. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things. This is John talking about himself. And, we, and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And then finally, and this is where the, the counting gets a little sketchy, um, that would be seven witnesses that we've covered so far, and here's kind of the eighth. It would be the others sprinkled throughout the story who encounter Jesus. Okay, and especially, I want to read uh, chapter 4, verse 39. This is the woman at the well. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So let me, go to chapter 1. Let me just read some of this. And what I want to point out, and this is, this is what I want to talk about today. Um, I want to talk about this, this cycle that we see in, in, in chapter 1, verses 29 through 51. I, I won't read all of it. but uh, And here's, here's the cycle. Personal experience, belief, testimony, invitation. Personal experience, belief, testimony, invitation. All right, now listen to this. The next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him. This is John the Baptist. I just started in verse 29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I had this experience, and I believe. And now I am testifying to you. Will you also believe? Or really, the invitation is to, will you have this experience? Will you experience him as well? See him. Look on him. Just look. Because experience leads to belief, which leads to testimony, which leads to invitation. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God! The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So do you see what happened with Andrew? Andrew heard John's invitation. He went and saw Jesus. 
He had an experience. He went and he found his brother and told him and said, you got to come see this guy. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now what's weird in all of these things is that the experiences don't seem to be um, these, <laughs> they don't seem to be very explosive. And even Jesus himself is sort of taken aback. He says, because I said this, you believe? <laughs> You're going to see greater things than these. You're going to see the angels descending and ascending on the Son of Man. Um, so what, but what's happening here, and this is the point of, of, of witness. So let me, let me just back up, and I'm, I'm going to make this point in a very long way. Okay? It's just one point. I'm going to make it in a long way. Here's, here's the picture, here's the situation that John gives us. Okay? This is the, situa- the situation of the world as Jesus enters it. Um, it's a world filled with darkness rather than light. It's a world filled with death rather than life. It's a world filled with lies rather than truth. It's a world filled with sin rather than love. It's a world filled with deformity rather than wholeness. And it's a world filled with alienation rather than community and belonging. So John has told us in the beginning of the book, right, in, in one of the greatest philosophical statements in all of Scripture, that Jesus is all of what creation was meant to embody. All of it. It's all wrapped up in a man. And he is the ordering principle, the logos, right, of the universe, of everything, of mankind. He is God as a man. And so on a big picture scale, this is what John is trying to convince us of. And he, he, he states that at the beginning. Not primarily that Jesus existed in fact, but that Jesus was the Word. He was God, made flesh. Right? He is the one who was in the beginning with God. The one who created everything with God. And he's the one who's in the bosom of the Father and and makes God, whom no one has never seen, he makes God known. Visible, tangible. But all through the story, and this is what sticks out to me about this idea of, of witness, John is so careful to underscore the personal experience of individuals. In all this metaphysical reality... John pays such close attention to the personal encounters of individuals with Jesus. Why? Because this is the key evidence that Jesus is the Son of God. This is his case 
He's building his case. And he's telling these stories not to give us cute stories, but to show us how when light himself, when healing himself, when wholeness himself, when belonging himself touches someone who's drowning in a world of darkness and death and deformity and alienation, when he just walks into their sphere of consciousness and does a little thing, they say, oh, this guy's pretty neat. No, they say, this is the one. This is him. This is the Messiah. These individuals. And immediately they say, this isn't, they haven't been convinced of some philosophical truth. They haven't plumbed the depths of the mystery of the Logos. Right? They've experienced Jesus in a deeply intimate and personal way. And so the biggest, this is what John is telling, the biggest, most metaphysical realities play out on deeply intimate and personal scale in this gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, rubbed shoulders with us. And John, even even as he's explaining this, he says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has, overco- has not overcome it. And there was this dude named John. And he came, he was a crazy guy. <laughs> he came to bear witness about this. Right? The, the tabernacling in the flesh of the, the, the Son of God himself. And there was this guy named John. This man who came to, to roll out the red carpet. He came to get the ball rolling. So the point is this, is that Jesus was fiercely specific and individual in his ministry. Uh, What he was doing was eternal, metaphysical, world-shattering. What it looked like was getting a drink from a woman at a well. It's It's not insignificant. Because whatever happened between him and that woman caused her to know that he was the Messiah. And each of his signs and each of, uh, all of his encounters here are so carefully crafted by John to show us as this guy was going around, yes, he was doing miracles, but look at how he was invading people's space with the eternal reality in a way, in the perfect way, so that their life and the eternal reality would intersect and they would know who they were created to be. They would experience him. So, in a lot of ways, <laughs> the, the evidence here is, is DNA evidence. Right? A little touch here, a little hair here. Put it under the microscope, what do you see? You see who that person is. And that's kind of the scale at which uh, John is unfolding this testimony as to who Jesus is. There's big scale evidence, right? All of Scripture, the Father, the Holy Spirit. But for individuals, he goes and he brings them to the microscope and he says, look at this just microscopic in the grand scheme of things, what was his encounter with the woman at the well? Not much. 
But put that thing under the microscope and look at it, and what you'll see is the logos. You will see the ordering principle of all the universe. You will see the DNA of God himself, okay? And we could go on to John's other writings, you know, especially in Revelation, where the, those who bear witness, those who bring the testimony of Jesus, um, Satan is hell-bent on destroying them. Right? Talking about witness protection is what we need. Satan knows that personal intimate encounters with the Logos means he has to go bye-bye. Means his, his domain is, is, has ended. Means that the darkness has not, has not overcome the light. Right? It means that he has to uh, get out of town. So does that make sense? Witness. Testimony. John gives us personal encounters with Jesus. Yes, Scripture bears witness. Yes, the Father bears witness. Yes, Jesus came to bear witness. Yes, this gospel bears witness. But what has really stuck out to me and really challenged me is to ask myself, am I a witness? Are you a witness? Has, ha, have you encountered Jesus in a way that he has interacted in, in some personal way in your life to where you have said, this is the Son of God? Not this is the guy who's going to get me to heaven, but this is the Son of God. This is him. He's, he's, made, he's been made flesh. I understand who God is now. And so the, the follow-up question to that is, what, what is it about your testimony that serves as the key evidence that Jesus is the Son of God? What is it about your experience, your testimony? And this is individual to you. It's individual to every person. What is it about the way you've experienced God that serves as the evidence for you, that has convinced you to the point of belief that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is God made flesh, that he is not a representative of God, but he is all there is to see of God. And so what I've challenged myself to think about, and what I want to challenge all of us to think about, is have we, have, have we really witnessed Jesus by the Holy Spirit? Um, you know, he said in his farewell um, sermon to his disciples that it was to, his, to their advantage that he would go away. Because then he could send the Holy Spirit. Why does he need... Why? Why is it to our advantage? Because now, by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is not just one man walking around, meeting the woman at the well, healing the guy at the pool. He's not just one, one human. Now, he's unconstrained by the limits of space, time. And so now, by the Holy Spirit, every single person can have, this, have an encounter with Jesus by the Holy Spirit that convinces them that he truly is the Son of God. And that, that's what the work of the Holy Spirit, that's what he's doing. And then there, there's just a couple, you know, there's this, this question. You think about the martyrs in Revelation, those who bear witness, who bear the testimony of Jesus. 
and who have been, who have been killed for it. Are, are the powers of darkness really at risk because of what you've seen? Do you really have, do you have some key evidence that Satan hates that you have? Do you have a knowledge of Jesus that Satan can't stand that you have and wants to snuff it out and wants to keep you from testifying, wants to keep you off the witness stand? All right, so just this whole, this whole theme of, of witnessing and testimony, uh, what, I, what I was struck by primarily was how, how personal it's kind of uncomfortable to say your personal experience is key evidence as to who Jesus is. That God wants to build his case in the earth by having deep personal encounters with you. It seems counterintuitive. It seems like, no, 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 what we should do is look at the big picture here, right? Jesus was the eternal word. Jesus was God made flesh. Jesus, he tabernacled among us. And what that means is he was now the tabernacle that the Old Testament was pointing to. And all of that is true. But there is an, there's, a little, there's an exhibit that's exhibit Zach, right? And God has designed it so that Zach's experience with Jesus would serve as key evidence that he is the Son of God. God has designed that Zach's, they're different Zach's, <laughs> encounter, personal encounter with Jesus... In those personal ways, right, you experience Jesus a little bit different than Zach experiences Jesus. And Zach, you experience... <laughs> and so on and so on. Et cetera, et cetera. Um, you see the point? It's, it's subjective, and, that, and that's kind of scary. Because who's to say that you can't just claim something crazy about Jesus? Well, that's why that big picture is there. That's why the Old Testament's there. That's why the, the truth of... Right, it's, it's about truth. And the more perspectives you have of truth, the more clear it becomes. Okay? Um, and so God, it absolutely... Your, your personal testimony, your personal experience, it absolutely matters in clarifying the truth of who God is. Right. I, know God, I know God better when I hear about Mason's relationship with God. I can read scripture. I can read history. I can read all this stuff. But I don't know God as well as I can if I don't hear Mason's story. I know more truth. Okay? So, I, I want to challenge you that you have... Number one, that you have an important role to play in being a witness. And I, I like talking about this more than I like talking about doing evangelism. Are you a witness? But then the question you have to answer before that is, have you really witnessed something? Have you really had an encounter with God? Has the Holy Spirit really revealed Jesus to you has Jesus come and put his finger on that thing in your life that's, that's keeping you from him, that's holding you in bondage, that's making you lame, that's keeping you blind? Has he come and touched that thing and you've said, 
you are the one. So what are those stories? And those are important stories. And we need to tell each other those stories and we need to tell the world those stories. Just as much as we need to, to, to open up scripture and read through John. John's saying, you're going to bear witness too by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. All right, well, let's, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for all the evidence, all of the testimony uh, that you have left us about who your son was, who he is, and, and what his coming into the earth, uh, what the significance of that was. Uh, but Lord, I pray that in these days you would help us to, to remember, Lord, those things that you've done in our lives that really caused us to, to believe in your name, that really brought us from death to life. Lord, I pray that those would be the stories we cherish, and those would be the stories that we, um, that we turn into invitations. Come and see this guy who did this for me. I can't wait to see what he did, does for you. Uh, but Lord, if, if, if we've never really witnessed you, if, or if we our heart of heart, or if we're like uh, Thomas or some of the Pharisees or, or Nicodemus who are almost there and, and kind of want to see, but also have some preconceived notions and don't really want to see, um, Lord, soften our hearts. Amen. Help us to see that you are here not to condemn us, but to give us life, to bring us from death to life, to free us from bondage, and to free us from blindness and lameness, God. Lord, thank you for how patient you are with us. Um, Lord, I thank you that, that you are a God who can operate on a personal level, who does know the hairs on our head, uh, who does know our, our going and coming, our rising and, and uh, going to sleep. Lord, you see us, you know us, and you step into our worlds uh, in just the right way to cause us to see who you are. So Lord, help us um, to truly witness you to truly believe you, and then also to bear witness, God, um, to bear witness in a clear way of who you are. Thank you for that, in Jesus' name. Amen.